Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. want to welcome you. If it's your first time, awesome that you came. We're going to do something very risky to start tonight. This is going to freak some of you out here. I want you to take your Bible and open up uh, this book to, uh, to Exodus chapter 20. This is a familiar passage, pretty much wherever background you come from. It's known as the Ten Commandments. Yeah, not suggestions. It's the commandments. And they're familiar to most people, regardless of your spiritual background. Um, they were given by God way back in like 1445 BC, and he gave them to a man on top of Mount Sinai. He was a very famous man. Uh, some of you know his name. He was Charlton Heston. You've seen the movie. Good for you. Um, and, and most of you are familiar with some of these. You can probably name a few of them. Thou shalt not kill. kill. Good. Thank Setting the bar high there, Lou. Good for you. Uh, you know, commit adultery, those sorts of things. And whether you're a Christian or you follow another faith tradition, almost universally, people recognize these Ten Commandments as the foundation for Western civilization, from really where we derive our sense of morality, what's right, what's wrong. And, and what I'm going to ask you to do now is scandalous. Put your finger in the Ten Commandments, all right? Hold up your Bible, and I'm going to ask you to repeat after me three words. The three words are, these don't count. Okay, I know, it's going to make some of you uncomfortable, okay, but we all say this on three. These don't count. Ready? One, two, three. These don't count. I see some of Jim's like edging away. He's like, when the lightning strikes Pastor Tim, I don't want to be, be by him, you know? It makes, it's weird to say that because it, it freaks you out because even if you're not particularly religious, we intuitively know that the Ten Commandments, or the law, as the, it's called in the Hebrew Scriptures, they're pretty important. I mean, what would the world be without laws or foundational guidelines for, like, ethical living? It's like, well, society as we know it would, like, collapse. That's the first problem. Uh, second problem, religion would collapse. I mean, isn't that what Christianity is? Isn't all of religious faith based on, on keeping these? That is a prevailing, unspoken belief that shows up in almost all world religions. That acceptance by God is dependent on keeping a set of rules. Whatever religion you're from, whatever the faith. And if you're here today, by the way, as a skeptic or like a Catholic or a Protestant or Buddhist or Jewish, you follow Krishna or Oprah, whoever it is, whatever it is you follow, you're welcome here, okay? We're a community of people who are just learning what it is to have an authentic faith and to follow God. And we're not, you know, it's a safe place to ask honest questions, even if they challenge assumptions. But whatever your faith, there's this universal understanding that God is good People are bad, and in order to approach God, we have to first live up to his standards. We've got to find a way to get gooder, basically. Uh, I was talking with one friend I saw here last week at Liquid. I hadn't seen him in a while. We gave a bear, bear hug out in there, and he looked all sheepish, and he was like, well, I haven't, I'm sorry, dude, I haven't been to church like a couple of months. He's like, that's okay. And he just goes, no, I, I fell off the wagon. Uh, he's in recovery. He's in recovery for alcohol uh, addiction, and, and he said, you know, I, I want to connect with God. But before I, I, I can do that, like, I've got to clean up my act, man. I've got to, like, straighten up my personal life. I even feel weird being here. And most of us think that. In one form or another, we think, in order to find credibility with God or be accepted to Him, we've got to meet His criteria. We've got to follow the rules for the most part and behave ourselves or, or clean up our act. And, 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 and so if our life is bad, we've got to get gooder to get Him to accept us. And, and, and if you're here today, and you're not even really sure there is a God or a heaven or anything... And I said, well, let's just assume that religion is right and there is a heaven. Do you think you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're going there? 
what would you almost knee-jerk do? You, you'd, you'd probably look at the kind of life you're living and say, well, you know, I, I hope so. I tried my best. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm hoping I did good and that it kind of like outweighs my bad, hopefully. I mean, that's what religion is, right? It's about keeping the rules. And in many ways, that belief traces its way back to these. These ten commandments are rules to live by that we know to be foundational. And, and let me ask you, thumbs up, thumbs down. How, how, do you, how are you doing with these? Let's start with lose. Do not murder. Let's give a thumbs up if, you're, if you're, this week has been good for you, okay? <laughs> I know some of you are like, it's the end of the weekend, man. Uh, uh, do not steal. Do not steal. Okay, thumbs up for that. I'll remind you, you filled out your taxes uh, last week, so you're like, okay, you know, maybe not a ton. Uh, you know, if you look at these, uh, you know, uh, haven't committed adultery. And then, of course, Jesus comes along. He says, well, actually, even if you think about it, if you fantasize in your head, you're, you're guilty. And it's like, well, all right, well, never mind that. Uh, so most people think God threw out these Ten Commandments back in the day, and then like Jesus came along, and he like jacked them up beyond anything we can imagine. And God's kind of just standing there with his hands in his pockets going, all right, good luck, take a shot. Let's see how you do. I mean, I only gave you ten. Uh, try your best, and when you die, we'll see how you did, and you know, maybe get out the scales. Uh, maybe that's what you've come to believe faith is about, keeping the rules and living up to God's standards and, and finding a way to be good. Well, I have some startling news uh, for you today. This may, again, be shocking to you. It's a lie. It is not true. These do not count, at least in the way most of us think they do. See, see, this story we've been digging into, it teaches the opposite, in fact. And the irony is that the whole idea that the better I do at keeping the rules, the more acceptable I become to God. The irony is that very belief has done more to alienate people from God than anything else in human history. Why? Because guilt can never motivate you to get right with God long term. Guilt is a very short term motivator. I mean, we could live with guilt for years and years and years. And the more we do bad, the more guiltier we feel. And the guiltier we feel, the more alienated we feel from God. And the idea of like somehow finding acceptance with God, with all my junk? I mean, that's not how it works, right? No, I've got to work on my junk, and then maybe I'll find acceptability with God. That's what most people think the whole story is about. And in fact, the opposite is true. Because our ability to obey a set of rules has no impact whatsoever on our acceptability to God. In one of the most painful ironies in history, it's likely that one distortion has done more to keep people away from God than any other factor. L- let me show you what I'm talking about. So open up to Exodus 20. And if you're waiting for the punchline, you've got to leave early or something. Let me be very clear about it. And this may be, again, new to some of you. God's laws and rules are not a condition for a relationship with God. Rather, they are the confirmation of one. The rules and the laws God has given us are not a condition of his love, but a confirmation of a love for us that already exists. And, and if you grew up Catholic, that may cross your wires a bit. Uh, like, like my wife, she grew up ca- Catholic. And, and, and it's like, well, what's Catholicism without the guilt? You know, we call that Episcopalianism. You know, it's, it's like Catholic light. Uh, I seriously, I, I had a first time guest come up to me this spring and, and he said, he said, you know, I love the service. And I go, but I have one question for you, Father. Uh, does, <laughs> does, this, does this count? And when I asked him, what do you mean does this count? And he goes, I, I, honestly, he goes, I grew up Catholic and, and, and I, I always feel like church doesn't really count if you don't leave feeling like really heavy, really guilty. And, uh, and I said, well, when's the last time you were in church? And he said, about 13 years ago. And he, 
we're used to the message that we're falling short and you need to do certain things if you want to get back in God's good graces and get that relationship back on track. And maybe that's you today. You're like, I wasn't even going to come, dude. You're speaking my language. But I want to show you something incredible here in Exodus 20 that may get you to rethink what you think you knew, think you know, or thought you've been taught. That the rules God gives us aren't the condition for a relationship with Him. They're actually the confirmation that a relationship with him exists and can never be shaken. Let's look at this. Verse 1, it's under the heading, the Ten Commandments, and it reads this, it starts, it says, And God spoke all these words, and you can kind of skim over them, look at them, it's like, oh, remember the Sabbath? And you're like, well, all right, at least, you know, I'm in church, got that one, uh, you know, honor mom and dad. And then all the ones that we're familiar with, primarily because we don't want people to do this stuff to us, uh, don't kill, no adultery, no stealing, no lying, no coveting your neighbor's stuff. Now, here's the deal. You can tell a lot about a person by the rules they give. This is true in your family. It's true in your work. It's true in school, wherever you spend your time. In our family, the Lucas home, we have two kinds of rules. we got blue rules. We have red rules. Red rules are like red hot. You don't touch them. You don't go near them. A big problem if you break a red rule. Blue rules in our house are more like guidelines. They're kind of bendable. Our kids know you can kind of bend them a little bit. Like one of our blue rules is no watching DVDs on rides less than 45 minutes. We uh, have, I can't believe this, we have a minivan. Oh my gosh. We have a minivan now and it's got this like DVD player in it, you know, and like when the kids discovered that, it was like, ah, you know, and Incredibles and, and you know, Nemo, all that stuff in it. Even if we're going like five minutes down the road and we're like, that's it. No rides less than 45 minutes, you know, we, we, we don't want you to, you know, rot your brains out. And, uh, but it's a blue rule. It's bendable. So like the other day, we get in the car and go to the YMCA. It's like, you know, seven minutes from our house. The kids are like bananas going off the wall. And I'm like, where's Nemo? Just give me the thing. You know, get, jam that thing in there. It's a blue rule. It's bendable. Um, but the red rules we have, non-negotiable. You can't touch them. And we don't have a lot. But the ones we do are sacred. And, and the kids know you don't mess with them. And the number one red rule in our, in our house is this. Never go past the fence alone. We have this fence in our backyard and the kids understand you unlatch that gate and you go down the driveway problems, a big deal. You're going to see daddy actually get red. Okay. More on this in a minute, but a red rule. You can tell something about a person by the rules they laid down. I could, t- I could come into your house and tell you what's important to you or your classroom by the rules you establish and live by. And this is significant. Because buried within these rules, these Ten Commandments are the secret to God's character. We learn what's important to Him by looking at the rules He establishes for us. So if you look at these, just, just look at glance down at them. Most people think, well, right, well, I get it. Okay, so like honesty is important to God. That's why He's like no lying, no stealing, right? And true, that's, yes, that's true. Uh, God Himself is honest. In fact, He's more than honest. He's holy. <laughs> that means there is no impurity, no deceit, no malice in Him, not a trace. These rules reflect his character. But to say that honesty is the point would be to miss the point entirely. It'd be like looking at my rules and saying, okay, so like uh, it appears no DVDs while driving are very important to Tim. Or he's like, it seems like he's really obsessed by fences. This is really nice. Where'd you get that? That's not it. That'd be ridiculous. You'd be focusing on the rule, not the relationship behind them. See, those two rules are about my kids. I do not want them crack addicted to Disney stuff. Like every time they see a minivan, they get shaky. No. Why? Because I'm their father and I love them. And it's my job to protect and care for them. And this fence, this is not about like guarding the stuff in our yard. I'm not obsessed with fences, even though at face value, the rules about a fence. This fence rule is grounded in one of the most precious relationships I have. More again on that later. But these rules in Exodus 
at the heart of the Christian faith aren't the conditions for relationship, but the confirmation of one already existing. Let me give you a little context you may or may not be familiar with. See, at this point in the story, the nation of Israel has been in slavery for 400 years. Last week, we saw how creation went down in flames when sin entered the world. It says the world is under bondage to the evil one. And so this idea that God, who exists in community, the Trinity, conceives us in love. He wants to share his life and join that relationship. And he gave us one rule. He puts us in his backyard and says, just don't eat from the tree, okay, in in, in the garden. But we didn't trust him because we heard this other voice that said, you could be your own God. You could be God yourself. Really? Yeah, we don't need God. You be your own God. And we bit, and the whole thing goes down in tragedy. But God, Father that He is, He initiates this epic plan. He starts with one man. His name begins with an A. Not Adam, but anyone? Abraham. Ab- he says, I'm going to reverse the curse in this whole world on your life through this guy, Abraham. I'm going to produce a nation. And Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And they, they eventually moved their 12 families to Egypt where their Abraham's descendants grow into this multitude, a nation known as Israel. That's what the whole Old Testament is about. And that caused a problem for Pharaoh because the Hebrew people grew so quickly, Pharaoh was actually threatened, and so he threw them into slavery, forced labor. 400, can you imagine 400 years? Try to use your imagination because this is hard to get your arms around this. The entire history of their family... From the time they were born, four generations, four centuries later, all they know are whips and chains and shackles and leashes. This is all they know. And so they had, naturally, a slave mentality. They had virtually no self-esteem because they didn't even have a choice like, to obey or not, like rules. We don't even have like, rules to break. See, when you're a slave, you wake up every morning, you basically say, yes, master. And if you say no, master, you're dead. <laughs> you don't have like, a choice to obey or not. There's life and death. That's slavery. And that was their whole family history for 400 years. Ruled by a brutal tyrant. Treated like animals. That's 400 years without hearing a word from God. And God brings them to this mountain. And he's about to give them his law. And they have never known what it is to follow rules voluntarily. Because all they've had is a slave master, not a loving master. So God gets Moses up on the mountain and he spoke all these words. Now you can follow along here. Start at verse 2. He says, I am the Lord, what? Your God. And at this point, Moses probably does a double take and go, wait, wait, what? What did you say? Did you you say I'm the Lord, your God? Yeah, I'm the Lord, your God. You, You must mean I'm the Lord, the God. No, Moses, I'm the Lord, your God. But that that's like, it's a kind of personal, like, you're my God, you know, like, you're the God. No, 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 I'm your God. That like implies like we, like we got a relationship or something going here. Exactly. Wait a minute. We haven't done anything to, to, to earn that. I, I don't know if you've missed this, guy, but we've been slaves for like 400 years. We do what we told, we're told. We don't have a choice. I mean, that's why he brought us here, right? To tell us what we're supposed to do to be good people so we can have a relationship. We haven't done anything. And we're saying, you're saying, we're your people? Yeah. You're in. You're mine. You belong to me now. Uh, any pet owners here? Anyone? Who has dogs? Who's got a dog? Any dogs? Okay, dog. Cats, cat people. Okay, you just move to the back then. That would be great. And it's just, I'm just, I said that the morning. It was amazing. There was like this, there was a hush and then people went, 
They like hissed. I'm serious. They, had, they really did. Uh, Colleen and I, before we had kids, we decided to get like a bridge dog. You know, that, like you get a dog and like if everything goes well with this, maybe we'll have a kid. And so we got this bridge dog. Eight, eight years ago, we got our first dog. This is a picture of him. This is a picture of Percy. Um, he is a Vishla. He's just a beautiful, he's a great boy. Very gentle, kind. He's really good with kids. And I remember going to get Percy. We brought him from a breeder on Long Island. And I remember going to Long Island. They had this like, giant box in the kitchen. They had, he had eight brothers and sisters. So there nine little puppies all, you know, scattering all over. And, and we're, you know, looking at them all. And we're like, we're in that one. Yeah, we're going to And we took the, him and, and we got this from the breeder. And we took him outside and we brought him in the car. And we, you know, held him up. And we said, Percy, you will be our dog. And we will be, you know, your God. That would be weird. Now we're like, we're, we own you now. We're taking you home. And, and we took possession of Percy. We, t- we took him out of the godless land of Long Island and took him into our home. And this is like a change for him. It's like really strange. The first night, he's like, mm, you know, whimpering the whole thing. We were like, let's take him back because that, that was... But he, he got acclimated. Same thing with Israel here. God's literally taking possession of them. He's moving them out of Egypt into this brand new land. He's like, brand new owner. I am the Lord. You're God. You're going to be my people, my possession, change of status. And Moses is probably like, you know, what well, you mean just like that? Well, not exactly just like that. You interrupted me. Keep reading here. Verse 2. I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And all of a sudden, Moses has a miniature flashback. Because God takes them down memory lane. <laughs> He's like, I, I'm your God. Why? Because I was the one who came and got you. I bought you. I, I sprung you your freedom. I parted the waters of the Red Sea and set you free. For 400 years, these people didn't even know what freedom was. All they knew was chains. And suddenly God appoints Moses to like speak on his behalf and he sends Moses to Pharaoh and, and says to Pharaoh, he says, I, I know, sir, respectfully, you think you're God, small g, uh, but God, like big G, he sent me and he says he wants you to let go of his people. And Pharaoh is like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't think so. Our whole economy is based on slave labor. No, your people can't go. And, and, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he kept saying, you know, no. And, and, and so what does God do? God declares war against Pharaoh on behalf of the Israelite people. See, before there were ten commandments, there were ten plagues that God strikes at the heart of Pharaoh with because Pharaoh was a very cruel taskmaster. And this is amazing. You can spend some time looking at these in your life group this week. But God literally takes each one of the Egyptian gods and makes a mockery of them. See, oh, sorry. The Egyptians were very religious people. They were one of the most religious cultures in ancient history, and they worshipped a pantheon of gods in nature. Like you think of like, what's the main river that goes through Egypt? The Nile. The god of Nile was, was happy, and, and, and they said, the Nile's literally the source of our life in the desert. And God's like, okay, you think the Nile River is a god? It's a source of life? And he turned the Nile River into blood. They worshiped a cow goddess. And he's like, okay, so you think, you, you, so your livestock, your economy is a source of security? Please. And he strikes down the Egyptian livestock in droves. He's like, okay, now who's the chief of all your gods? Well, you know, Ra, the sun god. And he literally blots out the sun. For three full days, he plunges the entire nation into darkness. And one by one by one, he declares war on religion. Every day. And the, and the Israelites are like, what is going on here? This is unbelievable. It's like there's somebody fighting for us. Who? I don't know. Someone's coming to get us. Someone is, is claiming us out of his own. We don't even know his name. But good grief, a Savior is rescuing us. This is unbelievable. And this is significant, folks. 
Because basically, before giving any rules to Israel, God first establishes a saving relationship with them. And he does it, mark this, by declaring war on a religious system that kept them enslaved. See, the Israelites, up to this point in their existence, had pretty much been living life on a leash. When Colleen and I first brought Percy home, they made us buy a leash. And, uh, and we put it on him, and he was small, and you know he didn't like it or anything, tried to get it off his neck. Who could blame him? But then we took him to this place called St. Hubert's, uh, where they do training for dogs and everything. And they, and they said, oh, no, this is a tool. You see, this will show you, this will keep him under control because he's an animal, and you've got to show him who's boss. And we're like, you know, he's just a little boy here, you know, and we put this on him, and all of a sudden, whoa, he's okay. Yeah, he's got a little bit of power and will of his own there. And they're like, no, no, this is, you know, most owners make the mistake that they take their dog for the walk, but their dog walks them. You've got to show him. And so they showed us, and they put this thing, you know, around the neck and everything, and, uh, and it, was like, it was like, Percy, get over here. No, no, Percy, get over here. Percy, oh, okay, yeah. Huh? What's you know? Now I'm paying. Who are you? Okay, you got to show him who's boss. I remember them t- them telling us this. And, and, and the leash is a tool of control, which is actually a very good symbol for religion, because that's what religion, man-made religion, is. It is life on a leash. It says, "You obey me, or else." And you obey, well, the master out of fear <laughs> or threat or intimidation, or simply because he's bigger and more powerful than you. And this is literally the religious culture the Israelites knew. And that's the kind of religion some of you have known. Somewhere along the way, it was preachers or teachers like me, you got the message that relig- that's what religion is. It's towing the line and following the commands of, of, of a God who's stronger and bigger and should be feared above all else. Because when you step out of line, he, whoa, yank, yanks you back in a place. Sorry, oh boy, gosh. Uh, and you, life on a leash. And, and the funny thing is, it's been the very thing that's actually repelled you from him. Because, because you're, like, you're like, actually, dude, that's why I stopped going to church. Because <laughs> all it did was yank me in a line. It didn't increase my love for God. I actually learned to fear him. I learned it's about staying in stride. And in the times in my life when I went astray, actually the last place on earth I'd want to be was in church. Why? Because all it does is highlight the ways I'm falling short and not making the cut. And you're right. In many ways, religion is all about keeping the rules. It's a slave mentality. Life on a leash. Who wants that? You see, that's a distortion of the heart of this God. Because the ultimate goal of a loving master or owner is actually never to keep them enslaved, but actually teach them how to live off-leash, responding and listening only to his voice. Week three at St. Hubert's, they told us, I was like, this leash thing is working. Come here, boy. And you're like, show us how it's going. I was like, get over here. You know, and yanking it and everything. And, and, and whoa, some of you animal lovers are like, watch it. Uh, and, and they were like, dude, you got to let go of the leash here. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? They go, oh, oh, yeah, this is a tool for training. The whole goal, though, is to actually be able to let Percy off leash so he can respond to your voice commands. I mean, it's one thing to obey when you got a chain around your neck. That's a primal response to fear. That's the currency of religion. You do as you're told. You follow my, hey, if you, hey get, yo, hey. you yank him into line. But the goal of our train at St. Hubert's, we learned, was actually to get Percy to simply obey our voice so we could trust him off-leash. 
And, and over a couple of weeks, they showed us how you, how you build trust with your dog. And, and it was amazing I, as he started to respond to, to, to my voice. You know, you're, you know, sit, hey, woo, boy, sit up, sit, heel, good boy. How do you, it's all about like tone and inflection and that stuff. And they start to respond because they start to trust you. You're developing a relationship with them, but it takes time. Back to the Israelites. That is where they were. Their whole life had been spent living on leash. They'd never experienced a relationship that was based on trust, where they were actually given a choice to obey or not. And so God literally reaches in as he begins actually loosening Pharaoh's chokehold on them with these nine plagues. Moses says, all right, Pharaoh, are you going to let us go? And Pharaoh says, no, you can't go. And into this, God speaks for the first time to Israel as a nation. He gives them a voice command. That is very significant. Now, this is amazing. Watch this. Put your finger at Exodus 20 and flip back uh, 12 chapters. Go to chapter 12, actually. Uh, this is amazing, especially if you're Jewish. You know the Passover, uh, obviously, is celebrated this time. Don't miss this because God in this moment gives his first voice command. And listen to what he says to the people. Chapter 12, look at verse 3. He says, tell, speak, the whole community of Israel... That on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You would determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. So, so, so the Israelites are like, let me get this straight. We've been living on leash for 400 years God's about to take possession of us. And the first command he gives us is, I want you to have a barbecue. Like, this this is it? He's like, yeah, this is what I want you to do. I want everyone to have a meal with a lamb. Keep going. Verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Now, I know this is weird, but like slaughtering like lambs and, and animals and stuff that like it grosses us out but it was like talking on a cell phone to them this like happened all the time this wasn't unusual and the people of israel are going wait what this doesn't the god who just blotted out the sun who bloodied the nile river now his crowning act is a barbecue like now for my final trick lamb chops you know like this doesn't make sacrifice a perfect lamb keep going verse seven this is where it gets weird then take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And this is the first off-leash voice command God gives to his people. Put the blood of a lamb around all your doorposts. And it's really odd, and you can imagine the Israelites like not understanding their master's instructions. Like, why, why does he want us to do this? Skip down to verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on who? All the gods of Egypt. In other words, this is my war against religion. I am about to set you free, to let you off leash, spring you from slavery. I am the Lord. How am I going to do it? Look at verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you. On the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will, let's say together, pass over you. That's why Jewish people call it the Passover. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. In other words, I want to free you. I want to save you. But you have to listen to what I'm saying. 
Trust my voice, follow my instructions. And this must have been very confusing for Israel because all they knew up to this point were slave masters who threatened them, obey by force, yank their chains. And now they're hearing this voice that says, no, obey me, but do it out of trust because I want to care for you and protect you. The question is, would they follow his voice? We'd had Percy only a, a, a couple of weeks when I started practicing off-leash stuff with him. Uh, I would take him with me, and I'd let him off, you know, in the, in, in the front yard and kind of like, you know, be at my heels. And it was good. He's a quick learner. I was like, hey, whoa, boy. And he'd like, you know, slow. And like, well, you know, look at me. And you got to use treats and all that stuff. But I was uh, getting groceries out of the back of my truck and stuff. So I, we're in the front yard, and I'm getting it out. You know, Percy's running around. And I'm like, hey, you know, you know he's, he's obeying himself. But then I am bringing him in the house, and that's when I see her. It's this woman jogger, and she's got a German shepherd. And she is about 50 yards down on the other side of the street. And I'm like, okay, well, uh-oh, this is... Now, Percy hasn't seen her yet, so he's just saying... Like, and I'm like, whoa, boy. And I think that alerted him, because then all of a sudden he sees him, he's like, you know, and he's off leash, and he just starts, you know, doing that twitching. You know, dogs do, like, when they get excited, I'm like, whoa, I'm like, whoa, 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 you know, just trying to let it just stay. It was amazing, as you could see it, like, it was like, oh, I know I'm supposed to say, but I really, uh, and, uh, and, and so he actually, he sat down, and I'm like, good boy, good boy, good boy, and now she's coming, now she's parallel with us, she's directly across from our driveway on the other side of the street, and I'm like, stay, Percy, and he's staying until the woman with her German shepherd, she slows down, and she goes, Which actually in, in, in dog frequency sounds like, come here now! And he takes off like a shot across the street, just flying out there. And it probably, I guess it was, I guess it was about 60 miles an hour when the Ford Explorer XLT hit him head on, end over end over end over end, and he landed two full house lengths down in a crumpled heap. And when that kind of thing happens, you know, everything like goes into slow motion. I like, dropped all the groceries. I'm like, nah. I remember screaming and the woman being like, nah, you know, ah, in the car and the whole, and they were running out there and he's just laying in a heap, middle of the road. And I'm expecting I'm going to, you know, find this horrible, just like, you know, mess. And I'm a few feet away from him and he's just, you know, just laying there just, and when all of a sudden, boom, he points, he, he gets up and he starts loping on one leg, just, you know, loping towards me, whole favoring like one leg. I'm like, person. And he goes right past me all the way to the house and collapses on the front porch. And I'm like, what? You know, and I run up there. I grab him. I throw him in the truck. We speed to the veterinarian hospital. And I was like, you got hit by a truck. And he actually was, he gave off the smell, which actually was a smell like fear. And so I, I gave to the, the vet. And the vet comes out after about a half hour. And he goes, well, he goes, I, I, this is, this is, he goes, I, I have to be honest with you. And I'm like, oh. you know, I figured it's just adrenaline, the dog, you know. And um, he goes, this is a miracle. <laughs> He goes, uh, I go, he's not going to die. He goes, he, he's not going to die. Um, there's not one bone in his body that's broken. Um, and, and I'm like, literally like, that's Jesus. Jesus, thank you for doing this for my, for my dog. He goes, no, it's not Jesus. How old is your dog? Is he less than about four months? I was like, yeah. He goes, he goes when a dog is less than four months, he's just a puppy. His bones literally haven't formed. They are so soft. That he goes, they literally just absorb, they're so malleable, he literally bounced off that truck. 
I mean, talk about lucky dog, okay? This is a picture of him. You can see actually today. This is incredible. But not a bone, in, this is eight years ago, not a bone in his body was broken. He was scraped up and he had a little welt there on his head. And, uh, and I, oh my gosh, and he brought him out. You know, he had to stay overnight, but he brings him, next day I pick him up. And I can't even tell you, I mean, I, you know, I'm his owner. This was my dog. I was supposed to protect him. And, and, and some of you are like, oh, okay, I get it. That's, okay, so that's where the fence comes in. That's why you put up the fence. Uh-uh. <laughs> you see, actually, we didn't get a fence for Percy. We didn't need to. Because the funny thing was, when we brought him home from the vet the next day, he was magically trained. He, he was like, it was amazing. From there on out, we opened the front door, and Percy let off leash. He'd take three steps on the front porch, look both ways, and sit down. You could have a herd of deer with like a cat on each antler, you know, doing a cha-cha on the other side. And he'd be like, nah, not so much. Not interested. He literally, it was amazing. It was actually kind of funny because he would literally sit there kind of like this, kind of sits there regally. And the neighbors would walk by and they'd be like, he is so well-mannered. How obedient. And I'd be like, well, yeah, I've been working with him. You know, just kind of, <laughs> you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But the young ones learn pretty quick when there's a, a Ford Explorer XLT involved. Folks, when it comes to faith, entering a relationship of trust with God, it requires us to listen to his voice and do whatever he says, not out of fear. This is religion, life on a leash, but out of trust because we believe he knows Best. And we realize he doesn't come into our lives to give us more rules to follow. That's what most people believe religion is. It's about, you know, heal or having God knuckle me under to get me to obey. Ah, uh, just the opposite. When God asks Israel to trust him, to sacrifice that animal and put its blood around his doorpost, he's saying, I don't want to be a rule giver to your life. I want to save your life. I want to be the one who spares you pain and suffering and lead you into a relationship of freedom and the trust. And this is so important for you and me because here at Exodus, God's saying to his people, look, before anything else happens, I need you to trust me. I want you to do what I tell you because I don't want to just be a, a pagan slave driver. I want to be a personal savior to you. That's the context. That's the relationship I want to share. And I know it doesn't make a lot of sense at this moment, but it begins by putting a blood sacrifice around your life where you dwell. And you've got to hear my voice and obey this command because it's going to start a relationship between us. And when the Israelites did this, this is eight chapters before their first act of obedience. What happened? They were literally set free. Pharaoh actually let them off leash. In fact, he begged them to go. <laughs> Because we're told God's spirit passed through Egypt and struck down Pharaoh's firstborn son. That's the context in which God gives the first ten commandments. And, and the Israelites understood this as, as Moses came down from Mount Sinai with these, with these rules. They, they, they understood, we're not here to establish a relationship with God. We've already got one. We're not going to be saved by keeping rules. We already have been saved. These rules confirm that he loves us, that he can be trusted, that his voice is worth obeying. And you see this right here in the midst of the giving and receiving of the law, the Ten Commandments. As Andy Stanley says this, he says, the greatest message you're going to ever hear as a human being, the keeping of rules is not a condition for God's love, but a confirmation of it. It confirms the love he already has for you. 
and the relationship is all God's doing. At your moment of greatest need, I want you to acknowledge that I know best. Put your trust in me. It is not about cleaning up your act or performing better or breaking the shackles or take, take me at my word. Hear my voice. Put the blood of a sacrificed lamb around your life as evidence that your sole confidence is in me to save you. That's all it takes. And I will let you off leash. I will set you free. Free free from slavery, free from your addictions, free from dead religion, from all the ways you've tried to to find freedom without me. Hear my voice. Trust the sacrifice first, and then we'll get to work on this trust thing. Folks, that's the message of the Ten Commandments. This is the message of the entire story that God's been telling Old Testament to New. You're going to see this differently. What's the first commandment then? Look at this. Exodus 20, verse 3. He says, You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, stop practicing religion. Dump your slave mentality. Cut the leash. I accept you unconditionally. I have said, you are my people. Commandment number two, look, I hope this is going to start making sense for you. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven. Ditch the sun above on the earth, on the earth beneath. Ditch the cows or in the waters below. Screw the Nile. Don't go back to Egypt. It will enslave you. This is what man-made religion does, folks. And somewhere along the way, a lot of us got this distorted message that to follow God, to have a relationship with Him, we have to perfectly fulfill His rules or work really hard to get Him to finally accept us in His family. It's a lie. It's an idol. And the idol's called religion. And it can never lead you into life. It can never lead you into freedom. If you have been searching for some time, I was talking with a newcomer at dessert the other night, and she said, I, I've been searching all my life. She goes, I actually grew up Catholic. I converted to Judaism. I became a Jehovah's Witness. I went to the Universalist Church. She goes, I tried everything. And it always left me wondering if I've been good enough. Those are her words. Any obedience that's based upon our efforts to please our master out of fear or like work ourselves into his favor. God's like, I smashed that idol once and for all in Egypt. I pulled the pants out on religion. Do not go back there. Look at verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am what a jealous God. Circle that word jealous. This cuts to the heart of it. The Hebrew word for jealous is zealos. Z-E-L-O-S. Zealos. It's where we get our word what? Zeal. Passion, zealous. I'm a zealous God. Why am I giving you these rules now? Because I'm a zealous God. I'm a passionate God. What are you passionate about? I'm not passionate about rule keeping. I'm passionate about you. I am jealous of this. This relationship we have, you and me. I'm your savior. You're my precious child. You are my prized possession. And I don't want anything to ever come between you and me again. And this is where the commandments come in. And when God gives us rules to live by, once we're established in a relationship of trust and love, unshakable, it gives us the boundaries to protect us because we're precious to him. I told you the red rule in our house is don't go past the fence alone. But as I said, we didn't get this fence for Percy. Percy learned his lesson the hard way. He hasn't been street surfing since. So why did we get a fence? Two years after we took Percy home with us, we welcomed another life into our family. 
conceived in love. This is my daughter, Chase, and she is Percy's master now. She holds the leash. And it goes without saying, put that up on the screen one more time, Susie. It goes without saying, we have a special relationship. This is more than I'm her owner or master. She's my daughter, and I'm her daddy. That's good. She wasn't more than a year old when Colleen and I, we, we were like, we got to do it. We learned our lesson with Percy, and we were like, there is no way we're ever going to let what happened to Percy happen to our little girl. And, and so we started thinking about, like, you know, what should we do? And I was like, well, we, you know, we still have the leash. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's economical, you know. But, um, but, but here's, see, she, you know this. She's not an animal to control. She's a little girl to love. And so we established rules for her to live by. And one of them, my sweet girl, don't ever go past the fence alone. This law, this, this boundary we've, we've set around her is grounded in, in love, a jealous love. I'm crazy about her. It's for her protection. It's for my son, too. This is a picture of the three of them playing. Um, Chase and, and, and Percy, who's running from my son, Dell, who terrorizes him. That uh, red rule is about relationship. That's my son. That's my daughter. And we didn't put up a fence so I could have a relationship with them. I put up a fence to protect the one I already have. They are my treasured possessions, and I am zealous for them. And I want to do everything I can to care and protect them in this world. I hope, beyond hope, they will follow the red rule. (laughs) Stay beyond the fence. But, But here's the deal. If they don't, it won't somehow negate or cancel our relationship. Someday, they will go out on their own. I understand this. They will move beyond the fence, and I hope they will honor their father and everything we've tried to teach them. But our relationship will always go on, whether or not they keep the rules. (laughs) And this analogy is imperfect, but that's what it likes when it comes to your relationship with God, folks. It's just the same as it was with Israel. See, Israel's story is our story. The first thing God does is invite us to trust His voice in order to be saved. What did God ask of the Israelites 3,000 years ago? He's like, trust in the blood of a perfect lamb. What does God ask of us today? Same thing. Trust in the blood of my son, the perfect lamb. That is how you start a relationship with me. By admitting you bring nothing to the table. You got nothing to offer. It is not about you keeping the rules and hoping I accept you, but simply saying, God, I trust you to save me. I put my confidence in in your word that the sacrifice of your firstborn son, Jesus Christ, will save me. That makes me acceptable to you. Nothing more, nothing less. That's literally it. If you're like, how do I start a relationship with God? Because I don't want religion. That's it. I put my trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's... Once you've established that relationship... Secondly, God wants you to trust him completely. And he will do everything within his power to protect you, except put you on a leash. This is why he erects boundaries. He puts up guideposts and fences and gives us commands. Because the laws demonstrate his love. This fence is an expression of my love for my kids. Sometimes they see it as as restrictive. But the rules of God confirm the relationship we already have. And and yet he still gives us freedom. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) 
I mean, any relationship that's truly authentic has to be free, and, and we're free to obey or not. Because you see this, the fence isn't very high, is it? You can, you, can get, you can get over it. You can jimmy the latch, actually, on ours. And there's all sorts of ways. You can test the boundaries of this, by the way. Um, look, so look at this, right? Okay. Rule number seven. Don't commit adultery. You don't have to commit adultery. Rule number seven. But fantasizing to porn is just the same. And God's like, why do you want to go back to Egypt? Your father set you free. He wants you more for you than to be enslaved to addiction. He set you free once before. Why are you going back again? These rules are for your good because you have a loving father who wants the best for you. And the question is this. Are you still hearing his voice years into the journey? And obeying out of, out of trust. My kids are at the age where they're, uh, they're asking, they, they, they understand the power of asking why. Why can't we go in the front? <laughs> why do we have to stay in the backyard? You know, and I, I tell them about Percy and that helped for a little bit. But now that, you know, they're starting to be like, well, we're not a dog. Why do we have, you know, my little sinners. And um, will you continue to trust him? Even though he has set you free off leash. Trust him enough not to live together. Well, but, or wait till marriage for sex. See, you can leap the fence at any time. You know that. I can tell you as a father, though, it will break your father's heart to see you in the street. He wants to save you. He also wants to save you pain later on. And he knows best. Really? You think so? You have a relationship. He has given you freedom. The question is, what will you do with it? Come home, not out of guilt. Don't come home to religion, but to the relationship you were made for. He is the Lord, your God, your Savior. Let's take a moment, just even talk to him. And you talk to, he's your God. You talk to your God, your Savior. Jesus, you are our God. And we thank you, God, for the sacrifice of Jesus, God. Sometimes those of us just miles in the journey, Lord, we lose track somehow and and it becomes about doing stuff and and, and just thinking, making ourselves acceptable. And, And we get confused, God, we get lost. And sometimes we feel real distant for you, but you haven't moved one inch this whole time, God. It's us who've moved. So we give you, Lord, our, our lives here. We offer them. Lord, if anyone here wants to start a relationship with God, that's what you simply say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. No more religion. I want to trust you completely. I put my faith in the blood of your perfect sacrifice. Jesus. Father, I ask right now, even in the heart of every man and woman here, that you will begin stirring something, whatever they feel, Father, that would be confirmed that it's your spirit moving, not me. That you would dig deep wells, Lord, of trust in us, reestablish us, ground us, and root us in your love so that we can be set free to follow you. Father, for everyone watching or listening online, All the people in Australia, Lord, move among them, even now. Move the veil from our eyes, Father. Let us see you. You are an incredible God of grace. And we thank you for that. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. We all said, Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God.